Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week, we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today on the show, we'll talk with Casey Cutler of Good Local Markets about the state of farmers' markets and local agriculture in North Texas, and we'll also hear from our producer Natalie about her food origin story. It's going to be interesting and informative and fun, and it all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited to have you here for our show. And thank you for the great feedback that we've had on our first two episodes. We got a lot of emails and voice memos from you guys. Um, And one thing that we heard that you wanted more was more detailed show notes of everything we talk about. So now every time we post an episode, you'll find a recap online with links to all the good stuff, like when we talk about breakfast tacos or persimmons or a restaurant we're loving, we'll include those links. And we also want to hear even more from you as we evolve the show. So please send us your questions and voice memos via our form at dallasnews.com slash food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. And we love the voice memos. You can send one like this from listener Beth Ann Black. Hi, Erin, Sarah, and Claire. This is Beth Ann Black. My question for Eat, Drink, DFW podcast is the fact that my doctor recently suggested that I focus on eating a Mediterranean diet. Would you please describe what is a Mediterranean diet and what restaurants in Dallas, Fort Worth, and the surrounding counties serve Mediterranean diet food? Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth Ann. That is a great question about the Mediterranean diet, and we'll have to plan on diving into that in another episode. But for now, I can tell you that what I know about Mediterranean food is how I love to eat most days. You know, healthy fats like fish, nuts, seeds, and olive oil, plus whole grains, fruits, and veggies. Um, Personally, I really like to go to kava restaurants uh, where you can customize grain bowls and salads with ingredients like hummus, falafel, lamb, olives, etc., Um, If you guys have a favorite Mediterranean food spot, please let us know, and we'll be talking about that in a future episode. Okay, so later on, we'll be talking all about local agriculture with Casey Cutler, but now we're going to kick the show off with some quick bites on what's in the news. And I'm here with food reporter Claire Baller today. Hi, Claire. How are you? Hi, Erin. I'm good. 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 Okay, so one of the biggest topics right now in food and restaurants is the supply chain and food costs. I know there have been a lot of factors involved in this, just regular inflation, 
um, the border supply truck issue. Claire, what are some updates on that situation that you're seeing? Yeah, the whole issue at the border has been the latest development in just the challenges that restaurants are facing right now to get food on the table. So earlier this month, Texas Governor Greg Abbott implemented increased inspections of commercial vehicles entering the U.S. from Mexico. This completely clogged the system and led to backups of imported goods, including produce. Those increased inspections were ended last Friday after Abbott faced bipartisan calls for him to do so. But the uh, issues that all of that caused are still being sorted out right now. So I talked with one Texas produce distributor who supplies to restaurants, and he said the price of avocados and limes were really impacted by those border delays. Uh, last week, his company was paying $90 per case uh, for limes, and that's up from $18 a case that they paid this time last year, which is just truly insane if you wow. really sit and think about it. Yeah. Uh, as for avocados, he said last week they were paying $65 to $70 a case, and that's up from around $40 a case again this time last year. So you think about that, all of that has to, at some point, in some way, fall to the consumer, right? And so that means that restaurants have just been put in a situation of trying to figure out if there are substitutes they can make to avoid hiking costs or just kind of sitting tight and waiting it out to see if things level out, which it looks like they are, at least with regards to border delays and produce coming from Mexico. Um, But all of this is bigger than just the issues that we're seeing in terms of backlogged goods at the border. All of these price increases are also uh, due to a result of a confluence of economic impacts like inflation and and supply chain. So those costs that we're seeing for things like avocados and limes, that is not just due to the border issues. It's just this whole um, kind of economic... uh, melting pot of issues that is just making it really, really difficult right now to run a restaurant. Yeah, it seems like prices just across the board, whenever we talk to people, they're like, well, prices are just high Mm -hmm. and increasing across the board, you know, and every week it's something kind of different. And restaurants, uh, when when I talk to restaurant operators, they are really exhausted, as you can imagine, and they're kind of over trying to understand why things are so expensive. Right. They seem to just have their heads down and they're trying to just get through it the best way they can. And I think that's a, a result of being in a really tough operating environment for over two years now. Yeah. And it seems like some of the things they're doing, um, you know, some specific things are more expensive on menus now, but a lot are instituting these just across the board service fees as yes. a way to... Um, to sort of account for those costs without sort of nitpicking each thing on the menu. Exactly. Otherwise, I mean, every day it changes, right, of of what is more expensive and what restaurants are choosing to um, raise the prices on. So restaurants are starting to do that. We're seeing them put uh, notifications on their websites or ordering systems to let people know that, hey, we have to charge a service fee to in order to cover costs uh, that we are incurring just to keep our doors open. Right, right. 
Well, thank you so much um, for all your hard work on that subject, Claire. I know we'll be we'll be staying on the topic because it's an ever evolving topic, um, like we've talked about, constantly changing. So we'll see what is more expensive next week. <laughs> um, and in other news of the past week, uh, you've got to check out reporter Sarah Blaskovich's stories on best patios. She's done a roundup of some of the greatest spots in Dallas and Fort Worth. So go to dallasnews.com slash food to check out those links. Um, there was also a lot of fried chicken news in, in the last week. Um, David Chang's Fuku is returning to DFW, I think trying a different ghost kitchen company. Um, the first one didn't work out so well and was kind of a bit of a mess, but they're trying out a different one. So that's now available. And Claire, I know you had a story about um, another chicken. local favorite. Yeah, Mike's mm-hmm. Chicken. What do you know about Mike's Chicken? Yeah, so this is a fried chicken spot that's been open in the Oakland neighborhood of Dallas for years now. And mm-hmm. they are now opening a second location in North Dallas at Forest Lane. And people are really, really, really excited. Uh, and <laughs> yes. it's, it's obvious why, I mean, it's really good fried chicken and, um, they're set to open they're, they're I mean, they're in the same boat, like a lot of restaurants right. where they were supposed to open a little while ago, but, but they're dealing with delays. So they're set to open next month. Um, and I just want to say for the record, I, on a previous episode, I said that I thought that fried chicken might be on the out and I think I'm wrong. <laughs> so let the record state that maybe I was wrong about that. Maybe there's, there's still, I think maybe specifically hot chicken. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> fried chicken will like never go out of, out of style. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't, but yes, maybe, yeah. maybe hot chicken can, has had its time in the sun, but anyway, <laughs> there's even more fried chicken news and people are very excited about these new places coming. So Yes. Yeah. Even Shaquille O'Neal is bringing his fried chicken place to DFW called Big Chicken. And I know our friend and writer, Nick Rallo, I think made a comment on Twitter last week that he was like, I really have no idea why it's not named Chicken Shack. Like, why? It's such a missed opportunity. Why is it Big Chicken and not Chicken Shack? (laughs) Like, it's just right there. (laughs) So... So anyway, maybe we'll convince Shaq to rename his his chicken place. And coming up next, we will be talking a lot more about chickens, eggs, and um, and other farm things with Casey Cutler of Good Local Markets. We'll be right back. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back to Eat Drink DFW. I'm Erin, and Claire and I are back to talk with Casey Cutler, Executive Director of Good Local Markets in North Texas. The nonprofit market has been around since 2009 and now has two locations, the White Rock Farmer's Market and the Lakewood Village Farmer's Market. Hi, Casey. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I love talking farmer's market, so I'm excited to be here. All right. So before we get started talking about just the state of Texas agriculture, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started working in farmer's markets and why this is such a big um, passion for you? 
Yeah, I actually started with Good Local Markets as a volunteer. Sarah Perry had started it, um, and they used to do a big potluck celebration with all the farmers and vendors at the end of the year, and I happened to be the person that hosted it at the Audubon Center. So I was there, and all these really cool people with really good food were at our nature center, and I thought, I want to be part of whatever it is that you guys are doing. Um, So I didn't know anything about farming, to be honest. I just knew it was a community of people that seemed so well-connected, and they really were passionate about what they did. And that's when I said, "I sign me up. So (laughs) I started volunteering with them about eight years ago when there was a farmer's market at the Half Price Books location on Northwest Highway. Oh, right. And that's actually where I met my now husband was volunteering with that market. So once I got involved with them, it just sort of clicked that I was meant to be part of this community of farmers and artisans. And I really got addicted. And it's like this bad relationship that I'm in of like, I can't get away from farmer markets. I just (laughs) love waking up at 3 a.m. on a Saturday and getting to market. So um, it really is the people (laughs) and what they do that got me into the market. So now um, after two years of volunteering, I became the executive director and have been doing that for about six years now. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm glad it's it's obvious. Your passion and enthusiasm for it is always obvious. For sure. um, Very infectious. So I appreciate it. And so I know at the start of the pandemic, all eyes were on farmers markets because grocery stores you know, things were closed and you couldn't get anything. So how have farmers markets dealt with, you know, the pandemic over time? Yeah, the pandemic was an interesting time. I fortunately was very pregnant when it was the pandemic. So my hormones and my aggression was in full force when lockdown came about. And I was like, what about all the farmers and all of the people that I am supposed to be supporting? Um, So my hormones and my pregnancy rage just kicked in and I called every single city person. And I even was calling the government and I was like, we are an essential business. We should be up and running just like all the other grocery stores. Um, and luckily, that that uh, hormonal fueling, I actually got to talk directly to the agriculture commissioner, Sid Miller, um, and he got us on the list to be part of that, those original documents of what was an essential business. And so our argument, of course, was we are an outdoor grocery store. We are the safest place to be. You can support the agriculture and the farmers and get everything outside um, away from the virus. So we had a very compelling argument. We were able to maintain open. We only had to cancel one market as we were trying to get up and running. And we actually, during those first um, months did really well at market because people were afraid to go into the grocery stores. And also people were really passionate about supporting local because they saw all the restaurants closing or they saw how the shutdown was affecting small businesses. So people really had um, the motive to come see us at market. So sales wise, we did really well. Um, 
And and it was really great that we were able to be open and keep our farmers in business because if they're not selling, where else are they going to go? Right. So it was definitely a proud time to be able to support everybody. Mm-hmm. We're sort of seeing everyone mellow out again now that, you know, it's uh, <laughs> the restrictions are off and everyone's kind of getting back to normal. So I hope people just remember, you know, we're still there. We're still up. We still need the support of everyone. And it is fabulous to be in an outdoor grocery environment. So I I hope people continue to start coming back like they used to during those pandemic days. And what um, sort of trends have you seen as far as like how farmers and ranchers have changed their business models over the last couple of years? Or are there people, you know making more bread or making, you know, what things have you seen? Specifically for any of our ranchers, the meat and the egg production, I think it's been really challenging for them because when everything shut down and still they're trying to get their feet back, um, the big processors or the big meat productions, they were taking over the small processors where people bring their animals to get the cuts of meat. And so the small farmers and ranchers, they've been getting pushed out of those appointments. So a lot of them have been backtracked and waiting months to be able to bring their pigs or their cattle to the processor and actually get it turned into meat because the bigger companies are taking their spots. So we are seeing a little drag of getting some of the meat to market. One of our farmers, she has been waiting a month to bring her pigs that are ready to be butchered, I hate to say. (laughs) Um, So there is a little backlog on the meat, but it'll, we just need more processors in the area. And for future trends, I think we're really starting to see small farms, small scale farms. It's more of the homesteaders. Mm -hmm. Um, Land is so expensive for people to obtain. So we're seeing more of the backyard farmers or people that have a couple of acres versus 50 acres. And so they're farming what they have and bringing it to market. Um, We're also starting to see hemp. Texas agriculture, the next big thing I think is going to be the hemp production. So we've been getting a couple of local farms that want to bring their CBD or their body care lotions and whatnot made of the hemp that they're growing. So that's what we're starting. It's not food related, but we're starting to see a lot of that um, new hemp farmers coming through. That's great. And that's based on the the changes in the laws and stuff that recently yeah, happened, correct? It, yep, exactly. Yeah, just passed that they're able to start that production. And I think the Texas agriculture is just starting to back it um, a little more because they see that there's money involved in it. Casey, are you seeing sellers having to raise prices on things recently just because of all these issues with supply chain issues, labor issues, all of that? Probably not as much as I think you see in a grocery store, but we're already starting at a higher price um, because it is it's a small scale um, farming. We see things like eggs have gone up. So it's now about seven dollars a dozen. It used to be six dollars. And that's because of the feed costs um, for the chickens. It's going up all the feed because the corn is being brought in or the gas is a lot more expensive to get that going. So we're seeing the eggs are, have gone up and just random things like some of the plant starts have gone up because of the fertilizer is more expensive. So we're seeing a little bit of a shift, probably not as drastic as you would because we don't have people coming over the border with produce. It's everyone that's local. Um, so they're not getting inspected other than by me. But there are subtle changes because everyone's trying to keep up with the the times right now. Everyone's trying to make a living. And if they're 
paying more to get to market, they need to start charging a little bit more. Right, right. What are some things that are in season right now are just about to be in season that people can expect? We talked a few weeks ago and you were very excited about strawberries coming soon. Are They're you seeing finally them yet? at market. We've been waiting forever. <laughs> we just hit. We had a huge line for them. We had a very slow start this year. The freezes always hurt our farmers. The up and down temperatures where it goes from freezing one day and then it's 70 degrees the next day, it stunts all of our um, plants and the production. So everything has been really slow to market this year, but we are finally seeing we had chard, we had spinach. We had um, hothouse tomatoes. We have the strawberries, which is very exciting. So spring has sprung at market. You can finally start getting some of this awesome produce. Um, We endure the ups and downs with these farmers. So it has been several weeks of just waiting and in pain with them um, as things start to grow. But strawberries are here. You can expect them at market for a couple more weeks, probably through definitely through April maybe through May. May is when we'll start seeing the tomatoes and June we'll see peaches and all the good stuff is going to come back. Super exciting. This is like Super Bowl season for yeah! farmers markets <laughs> with all of the spring and summer yeah. produce. <laughs> I love that, Claire. <laughs> and so Casey, maybe explain a little bit about good local markets and your 150 mile radius. Like what are some of your parameters and requirements for vendors? Yeah, so good local markets. Uh, We are producer only. Both of our farmers markets are only full of local farmers that we inspect. So we go out to every single farm and ranch to make sure that they're growing what they're selling at market. It's not peeling off stickers and selling at a higher price at the market. You're not going to find the avocados or pineapple or any of that stuff. It's only stuff that grows right here. And we even have that standard with our artisans. Everything has to be handmade down to, you know, jewelry. They can't just string beads. They actually have to make all the beads and all the intricacies themselves. So everything is local, handmade. And what I love is being able to go out to the farms because then we're able to tell our customers, oh, I've been there. They're a family farm. They do X, Y, and Z. So it also just contributes to having a relationship with where your food comes from. So I'm really proud that we're able to support people locally and and not have to bring in, you know, the the trucked produce, um, which is very tempting when you have a freeze and you have nothing at market and everyone's complaining about where the produce is. You just have to hold on and tell people this is what farming is in North Texas. Um, we endure. So, yeah, we have really strict rules about keeping it local. That's such a good lesson, though, when you think about it, for people to see, like, sorry, we just don't have strawberries right now, or we just don't have citrus right now um, yeah. because of the weather. And I, and I think that's lost on so many people so often uh, without exposure to farmer's markets of understanding how our food gets to our tables. Exactly. Go to the grocery store. You know, you want X, Y, and Z. <laughs> you know, we go through everything with our farmers, so. If you're looking for the abundance of produce, go to the grocery store. If you're looking to support local farmers and local agriculture, come to the farmer's market and you will taste the difference when you do come to market. You'll taste the difference in a local tomato and it's worth the wait when you do taste it. 
And so Casey, that reminds me um, to ask you, like, what are some things that you make at home with some of, you know, the produce that you get or the the meats that you get? Like, what are some of your favorite things to, to make? I know you live out on some acreage with <laughs> um, a lot of chickens and all of that. So you probably eat a lot of eggs. Um, yes. Eggs every day. We had our Easter quiche yesterday, but with my eggs uh, in the quiche, I was able to use spinach that came from the farmer's market, goat cheese that came from market, and it was delicious. It was super easy to make. Even milk, um, when you add milk to the quiche, we have milk at market, which is really um, one of our top selling vendors is local milk because people cannot believe the taste difference when they they get it fresh from the farm. I'm not a great chef, but the market really challenges me to try new things. We have a specialty uh, mushroom vendor, Texas Fungus, and they bring lion's mane mushroom. They bring oyster mushrooms, and they always give it to me, or they always say, can you just try this? Can you just work with this? (laughs) And so it really pushes me to sort of experiment with what's in season or something new. Um, so when some of our customers sign up for CSAs, they get whatever is growing at that time. And they like that challenge. People that are foodies are really into cooking. They love the challenge of how do I cook kohlrabi? Or, um, so I think it's kind of fun and exciting for people that are really into cooking. And you can make loads of stuff with what you find at market and, and the different meat cuts. It's not just beef. We have pork. We have goat. We have rabbit. All sorts of things you can find there. That's cool. It's almost like one of those shows where they give you the box, <laughs> you know, and the surprises. Yeah. yeah, the mystery box and you have to get creative with it. It really um, is. But yeah, I always love that too. And so um, I know that food access is a big issue for you. Um, are you guys still offering SNAP and why is uh, that kind of important to you? Yeah, we believe that everyone should have access to local food. And if by making it more affordable and to be able to accept all different types of payments is something we can do, we're going to do it. So we take SNAP. Um, we just opened up doing WIC, um, which is very exciting. So the Women, Infant, Children program, we're now able to do Um, that at market also. And what we do um, just to increase or incentivize people to come use their SNAP cards at market or WIC is we double the value of their dollar. So if you take $20 off your SNAP card, we actually give $40 total. And so that additional $20 that they get for free is for produce only. So that kind of helps incentivize more SNAP users, more um, WIC families to come to market to eat fresh local food. And it just puts the money back into the farmer's hands because it's directly for produce. That's wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Casey. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. I love your energy and enthusiasm as always. Anytime. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, I talk with our producer, Natalie Keo about her touching food origin story of growing up in a Laotian family. That's right after this. Hey, listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that, thankfully, includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. 
everyone. Welcome back to Eat Drink DFW. In this segment, we have a very special guest on who will be joining us a lot, actually. And that is our producer, Natalie Kelmungun, who we actually call Natalie Keo for short. Um, and it sounds really cool, too. So thank you so much, Natalie, for being on. I'm very happy to be here and very happy to be talking to you. <laughs> great, great. And thank you for being our producer. I think you're such a great reporter and breaking news reporter in the newsroom, and we know that you love food. And so we're very happy to have you on our team on on the podcast. Oh, thank you. You flatter me. Um, and you do not have to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you can all read Natalie's stories on DallasNews.com. Um, she's known for her, her Jerry Jones breaking news story that... Um, <laughs> That was very popular for a few weeks. Yeah, not um, not food related at all, um, but <laughs> totally happy to get into all things food. Um, I have a, I, I wouldn't say like extremely special relationship with food, but um, I do think that throughout like my life, food has just been kind of a like a weird, meaningful thing for me, and so I'm I'm happy to get into it. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so my family is from Laos. Um, Laos is a a very underdeveloped country. Um, mm -hmm. My dad sometimes jokes that instead of being third world, it's 43rd world um, because <laughs> it is just a very, I mean, it's an impoverished country. Um, it's mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia, and both of my parents are from there. And food is something that is very embedded in our culture. And I would say that it's kind of an interesting, it's a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, mm -hmm. So as soon as you walk into someone's house in Laos, or if you're going to someone's house and that person is Laotian or the uh, host is Laotian, uh, the first thing they will ask you is, have you eaten yet? Um, mm -hmm. and it's almost like a check-in to say like, Hey, I care about you and I want to make sure you're okay. So let me feed you. Um, all of the house parties that we throw, um, or any kind of celebration, there are always just giant tables filled with food. Um, and it really comes from that, uh, history of not having enough in Laos. Right. Um, my dad, you know, um, he wasn't necessarily like his family wasn't very well off. And so it was kind of one of those things where it was like, if you could find something to eat, you just eat as much as you can. And, um, my mom's family wasn't necessarily the same, but she did take that, that culture of food where it was like, I want to feed every single person that comes into my house. I need to make sure that they're well-fed. Um, and that's where my relationship with food comes from. You know, I, as soon as people walk into my house, I say, Hey, have you eaten? Um, let me give you some snacks or let me, let me give you, I don't know, literally anything to drink, or I made some bread here, have some bread. Um, or I will make, if I do make something, I will just make an abundance of it. So mm -hmm. I, the, regarding the bread thing, I recently got a Dutch oven, uh, literally a week ago Excellent. and <laughs> I made seven loaves of bread in a week. So oh my gosh. It's just That's impressive. I mean it's it's also like incredibly easy. Like I found a no need recipe because I was like I'm not oh, yes, try, that's the way to go. I'm not going to try yep. to <laughs> you know knead this bread, but it was one of those things where within my culture you you make as much as you can cuz you want to feed everyone. Um right. and it's not necessarily like it doesn't have to be good food. 
Um, Mm -hmm. ideally it would be good food, but it is just one of those things where you go, oh, like I'm just going to eat and eat till I'm full. And that's what makes me happy. And that's, that's what's going to keep me being happy. Um, and so I don't know if that's necessarily like unhealthy, um, but (laughs) that's just how, that's just how we do things like Laotian people do things. Every single celebration has food, um, and is, it, it it all revolves around food. Right. And so what are some of the the dishes that you remember most from your childhood or that your your family still cooks today or might have on hand when people come over? So my mom still makes to this day really incredible egg rolls. Um she has <laughs> a recipe that I cannot remember um but she deep fries them herself she cuts and shreds everything herself uh it's pork based and so mm-hmm. she will mash up all the pork or grind all the pork up um on her own and i remember showing up to school on teacher appreciation day um or i, I guess it's a week but on one of those days it was like guaranteed that the kelmancon girls would show up with a tray of <laughs> egg rolls for all the teachers in our grade Um, and we were talking about it this past weekend because I went over to my mom's house. She, of course, she and my dad were throwing a dinner party and had (laughs) tons of food and of course, like a tray of egg rolls. And so egg rolls are very much like a comfort food for me. Um, Mm -hmm. my mom will accompany all her, all of her egg rolls with, um, this like sweet and sour sauce that she makes Mm -hmm. by hand, like on her own. Um, she is single-handedly probably the best cook I know. My mom loves to cook and I think her comfort is the kitchen. And so every single day there was a home-cooked meal. Um, my mom, I mean, will literally cook anything. If she finds something that she wants to cook or thinks of something she wants to cook, she will Google it, find something on YouTube and make it. And she, it's always good. I don't know how she does it. It honestly is kind of like a God-given talent. Um, She's Mm -hmm. very – I mean, one of the things I want to do for her one day is to like send her to culinary school because I think she would just have the time of her life. But yeah, when I think of my childhood, I think egg rolls literally every single year. It was like this giant, you know, those (laughs) silver trays with the foil on top. And like you would have to crack the foil just a little bit so that the egg rolls wouldn't get soft because they were still Uh like piping hot by the time we got to school. So you must have been pretty popular at school. Just with the teachers. I guess like a lot of kids didn't really understand like why I was showing up with egg rolls. Like I think one year I showed up with an apple and I was like, I don't like this. Like let's give the egg rolls. (laughs) (laughs) And so did your mom teach you how to make the egg rolls? Have you ever tried to do them yourself? I wish I had the same passion of like making food as she does. Um, She Mm -hmm. has tried to teach me, but – I always do it wrong <laughs> or incorrectly. It's a lot of work. Well, <laughs> no, by my mom's standards. So like my right. mom will be like, you're not rolling the egg rolls like tight enough or like <laughs> that's a little too much of the, you know, the stuffing. Um, or, you know, she'll she'll like complain that I'm not like um, – I'm not, uh, you know, rolling things correctly, like rolling the egg rolls correctly. Um, mm-hmm. But then when she's making them, she's like – you guys never want to learn anything. You guys don't do – I'm just like, oh, it's fine. Um, but <laughs> We're trying. Yeah. N- now that I don't live with my mom, I do have more of an appreciation for all the stuff that she did for us, especially 
when it comes to cooking because I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. not nearly as talented as, as she is. Um, I just think that she really is someone who loves cooking, the idea of cooking and just feeding people. Um, yeah. But I, I do remember those late nights of just like rolling egg rolls with my mom and she used to pay us like, I think it was like 10 cents an egg roll. Um, so we would, we would make some, some big bucks <laughs> rolling those. <laughs> and so you grew up in, in the Dallas area, right? Is there a Lao community that you've, you found, you know, restaurants that you can go to and get kind of that um, similar taste of home? Yeah, we we don't go usually to restaurants because mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm talking about my mom a lot, but my mom <laughs> gets super offended if we go and try Lao food somewhere else. Um, but every year in Rockwall and like the Saginaw area, there is a Lao New Year. Um, it mm-hmm. happens in April every year. Uh, the past two years, um, they have not done it because of COVID, but in years past there would be just this giant festival with people grilling things, um, handing out uh, sticky rice. Sticky rice is something that is like very big Mm -hmm. in Lao culture. And again, the smell of sticky rice reminds me of my childhood and like my grandmother's house in Laos. And so those festivals are where the community comes together. They'll make like, it's really just like grilling stuff, like everything on Mm -hmm. the grill. Um, Coconut sticky rice is a really big thing. Yummy. But Lao people will eat anything. They eat all parts of the cow. Let me tell you, they'll eat all parts of the cow. Um, and, you know, they'll they'll like fry crickets. I've had mm-hmm. many a cricket. And it's really just like one of those things where if we find an event like that, like a festival like that, my mom is like more than willing to, to buy and eat food there. But Going to a Lao restaurant is like completely out of the question. Although I did go to Kao, which is great. Okay, I was going to ask yeah. about Kao. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a family friend who works there, and so it was completely acceptable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So Kao Noodle Shop was one of the um, – probably the most famous Lao restaurant in the Dallas area and unfortunately just recently closed. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I know that a lot of the dishes were very traditional dishes. What did you like when you when you ate there? We tried one of everything. Uh-huh. Yep. Let me see. The beef jerky is something mm-hmm. that my my mom makes on her own, of course. Um, but she has made that several times. Theirs is so good. Um, the only thing was that the portions were like super tiny. Um, uh-huh. and I was like, man, like this would not fly at Lao New Year, guys. Like you right. know this. Um, <laughs> That's the opposite of Yeah, that. yeah. But everything was super authentic. Um, and again, I have a family friend who works there. And so we saw him and he loves food as well um, and can easily vouch for how authentic that food is, um, the food that they served there. Yeah. I always loved, I actually, they would put a lot of their condiments in jars and sell them. So I did that a few times. I bought some of their condiments, which were just really amazing on pretty much anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Natalie, for, for sharing your story with us. Um, it's been wonderful talking with you. And I'm sure we're going to have you keeping tabs on us um, for future episodes and chiming in with, with your thoughts. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. And I'm excited for, for what's next. 
And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining, and I hope we've made you hungry for more. Also, we want to hear from you. We want to know what y'all are eating, drinking, trying, and loving, and we want you to tell us about it. We want your questions too. So fill out our form at dallasnews.com food or email us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. We'd love to share your thoughts on a future episode. The show is produced by Natalie Galmunkun. To stay up to date on every episode of the show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Erin Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.